Welcome to the October 28th edition of the Fantasyland Basketball Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Shorten. Before I get started, I want to talk about two things real quick. Um, trying to get to 40 followers on the podcast. We've been growing and growing, which is really cool. So if you're a first-time listener, welcome. Thank you for listening. Please click the follow or subscribe button. And if you're a previous listener, Thank you for coming back. Welcome. It's great to have you. Um, also, if you haven't clicked it, make sure you click the button. It would be really, really appreciated. Secondly, I've just managed to inherit my first ever dynasty fantasy team in a league introduced to me by a, a mate of mine with a, a few listeners off Twitter. So I'm pretty excited about that. I'll go through that in um, in later pods. Um, but I'm finding that it's very much a fine line between kind of win now or dominate in five years. So looking forward to getting stuck into that. So if you've got any tips for me, please hit us up on Twitter at Mark Fantasyland. But until then, let's talk today's podcast. So today I'm going to be talking about one of the most interesting teams this offseason, the Indiana Pacers. They were a pretty good team to, to watch this year, I thought. Some odd decisions at times and some untimely injuries, but They've got a pretty nice roster, a roster that, as nice as it looks, I think they're going to blow up a little bit this offseason. As it currently sits, we're looking at Malcolm Brogdon at point guard, Victor Oladipo shooting, the bubble MVP himself, TJ Warren at the small forward, Sabonis at power forward, and my man, Miles Turner at center. As I said, I do think that will change though. I'll talk about the players that are going to stay first, and then we can address some of the trade rumors and some of the options for these guys. Malcolm Brogdon, he was hampered by injuries, which is starting to be a little bit of a concern for him. He missed you know, half a dozen, a dozen games this year, 18 games last year, 34 the year before that. When he is on the court, though, he is really solid. This year, he had 16.5 points on 44% shooting from the field and 89% at the line, five boards, seven assists, and 1.43s. He's never been a solid defender in fantasy, but overall, doesn't really hurt you anywhere. This year, you could pick him up with about your eighth round pick because there was a bit of uncertainty as to what his role looked like and whether or not he had the capability to kind of be in that lead role but he obviously showed that he could. So that's not going to happen again next year. He's too good on the court and he's too much of a staple for a guard-heavy fantasy side. If you want him, you're going to have to spend maybe a late fourth, early fifth rounder on him, which I don't know if I'm willing to do. One of the issues I find myself when drafting Brogdon is his usage rate. Under Nate McMillan, he only had a 25% usage rate, which is fine, but that is with Victor Oladipo missing quite a lot of time as well. McMillan is gone, so does that change things? I don't know. Does whoever they bring in for Oladipo, I don't know either. It's kind of going to be up in the air a bit. We're going to have to wait until closer to the season. We're going to have to wait until training camp start, which I should mention a couple of dates for us. We've got 1st of December starting training camps. We've got the 18th of November for the draft, and we're yet to pencil it in, but we're looking at the 22nd of December as the the first game for the NBA, which is really cool. Back to Brogdon. Another reason I'm not huge on him is because of Sabonis. Sabonis is the star of this team for years to come. He really came into his own this year. His assists for a big man are really, really good. He shoots the ball incredibly well inside. 
And this year he had 18.5 points, 12.5 rebounds. As I mentioned, five assists, huge. 55% from the field, 73% from the line, with next to nothing on the defensive end. I do think that he is a bit of a poor man's Jokic and someone I'll be targeting in the early fourth. They tried running Savonis and Turner side by side, and at times it did look as though it worked, but for the majority of it, it looked as though they were just in each other's space. Both, I think, need to play inside, and I think when they move Turner out of the side and bring in another shooter, I think that will really help with Sabonis' game. Like Bam, he loves getting the ball at the top of the key and kind of running a, a dribble handoff to a a running player to, to kind of fill the lane, likes handing it off to a shooter. If he has somebody cutting in, he likes to be able to to dish that inside as well. So I fully expect Sabonis to to take his game to another level. I think he's going to go into the to the twenties or so for points this year. I think his assist could certainly climb as well. But I think if he's going to take his game to the next level and become a top twenty five, top twenty fantasy player, he really does need to increase his defensive stats. So he was at about a point eight for steals and a point five or so for blocks. Not horrible numbers, but if he can get those to one and one, then all of a sudden he becomes a top twenty-five player with the ability to go even higher. TJ Warren, he's the last player in the starting lineup that I see the paces keeping. It honestly feels as though he's been in the league for about fifteen years. I know he's only twenty-six, but I don't remember a time before TJ Warren in the NBA, to be honest. I think next year, depending on what moves the Pacers make, I think he could slide his way up into the four slot. I think that he's got the height and he's got the game where he can be a bit of a stretch four. And that, again, will help Sabonis. So all roads pointing to Sabonis really increasing his game next year. But TJ Warren, I spoke about him in an earlier podcast. To recap, he's... Pretty much a scorer that contributes a little bit everywhere. So his percentages are both good. His three-pointers, you're looking at about a one and a half to two. You're looking at a steal. You're looking at half a block. You're looking at four rebounds. You're looking at two or three assists. Like good numbers, but the reason that you draft him is because he's a pure scorer. So if you've drafted a team early and say you've gone with a, a BAM, say you've gone with a Ben Simmons and you're struggling for points in that early round, then you'd be looking at taking a TJ Warren at a eighth or ninth, maybe even a tenth pick to boost that area. It's the same as, as say, Jeremy Lamb, who, depending on what moves they make, he could fall his way into the starting two slot. I do think he's probably going to be the first player off the bench, but he's the same sort of player. Warren's a little bit better everywhere, especially points, but Jeremy Lamb, he could definitely find his way into a role where he's scoring a a few more points, getting a few more threes. So again, if you're looking at points at the end of your draft, one of those two players is a really good player to fill those holes. So Oladipo and Turner, what are they going to do with those guys? There is a very real possibility that they keep Turner. I don't think they do, but the... I can't remember his name, the coach that they're bringing who was working under Nick Nurse at Toronto. He had to work with Marcus Ole and he had to work with Serge Barker. 
Marcus Ault, obviously a more dynamic, maybe not so much now, but used to be a bit more of a creative big man, someone who could pass, someone who could do a bit of everything. Serge Barker, really good defensive center. And for a lot of the time, those two coexisted on the court at the one time. There is talk that he wants to turn Turner and Sabonis into that sort of a lineup. I don't necessarily know if that is the case because Sabonis can't shoot a deep ball. Gasol can shoot a deep ball. Turner is okay at it. Ibaka, he can also shoot a deep ball. So whether that works, I don't know. I personally think that they're going to offload Oladipo and I think they're going to offload Turner. The good and the bad thing about that is they both have a really nice team contract. Oladipo is only on about 20 mil. Turner, I think he's on about 18 mil. So moving those guys would mean if you move one of them, it means that you're probably going to get a lesser player in return or packaging them up, you're going to get a better player and you could probably get some picks to go with that as well. There are only two real options that I see that happening, first of which is with Boston. This year in the playoffs, Boston, I thought they really lacked creativity on the offensive end and they struggled coming down the stretch to make a big bucket. I think Oladipo could be the person that, that fills that void. He is a he's a game winner. He loves taking that shot. He's a solid defender. He can create his own baskets when he needs to. He can do a little bit of everything, which I think Boston really need. Miles Turner would be huge for them. Daniel Tice, yeah, he's okay, but Turner would slot straight into the starting center role and would then hopefully he'll revert back into his kind of round three value from a couple of years back. That's probably going to have to send Gordon Haywood across to Indiana, maybe a couple of picks as well, maybe a Marcus Smart, maybe somebody like, I don't know, Robert Wombs to go with them as well. I don't know. But I think that that's a really good landing spot for all parties involved. The second option would be with Golden State. As scary as it is, Golden State are going to be back next year and they're going to be back in a win-now position. Both Oladipo and Turner could and would probably put them straight into favoritism for winning the championship next year. I don't know why, but I've always thought that Andrew Wiggins was only kind of time-sharing there at Golden State. Hope he didn't buy a place. Hope he's just been renting because I never thought he was going to be there long-term. And I think that this deal would shore up Golden State's defense and help create an offense as well. We know that Curry and we know that Clay play well off the ball. They they played a lot of that with Durant. And again, Turner, he would need to be involved in that because the money needs to match up. Wiggins is on a ridiculously high, probably the worst in the league in terms of value for his contract. But Turner would need a slot into that center spot. And again, he'll be able to stay at home with that. Golden State would probably need to either send their second pick across to Indiana to get the deal done or maybe swap picks, but the the likelihood is there. Out of the two, which one do I think would happen? I, I think that Golden State are crafty enough to get it done. I think they don't need the pick. They're, there's no point in them bringing on a young player whenever Curry's at 30, Clay's at 30, Draymond's at 30. They're at the end of their window. So they may as well try and maximize the opportunity where they can. Turner's only 23. is only in his mid-20s anyway. So there's still a bit of youth there. And I think that it makes sense. Whether it's Boston, whether it's Golden State, I think it really does help every single person with their value. 
Hayward and Wiggins, they'll get a new home. They'll give them some more touches of the basketball, which should mean that they get back into the high teens, low 20s for points. Both are going to do much the same without the ball. They're going to five boards. They're both going to contribute not much on defense, maybe three assists, both okay percentages. Wiggins is definitely going to be the worst of the two. If I was to pick one, I would take Gordon Haywood. I think we all know by now that Andrew Wiggins is someone who tanks hard on both field goal and on free throw. This year was a bit better for him, but I don't see that lasting. From the outgoing paces end of the trade, again, I think it helps both players. Oladipo played his best basketball in 2017-18 with 23 points, 2.13s, 5.2 boards, 4.3 assists, and a ridiculous 2.4 steals on 48% from the field and 80% from the line. That was top 10 value. With a drop in usage, I don't think he's going to get back to those numbers but realistically, he could hit 70% of that. And then you're still looking at 18 points and 1.8, 1.9 steals with a bit of everything else. There is a real possibility that with all this time off, that could happen. As I'm going into the draft room, and as I know what my draft position is, I'm going to be looking at Oladipo and where I would need to take him. He is going to slip, but what I would say is do your research about his health before you enter the draft and If you think that he's had enough time off and you think he's going to be healthy enough come game one, go bold and take him in the 20s. He could be a massive boom-bust player this year, but if he returns 18 points, 1.8 steals, you're looking at a Jimmy Butler, you're looking at a Paul George, you're looking at one of those sort of players who will single-handedly win you a week off their steals alone. So keep him in mind whenever whenever you're doing your research. Miles Turner, he's the last player I'm going to talk about. He's someone I absolutely love taking. Every year, I take him in the draft, and every year, I get groans of people telling me that I've taken him too early, but I don't really care. He's a he's a center who blocks a ton and shoots the three ball, and that's my sort of player. Because of the emergence of Sabonis, Turner this year, he was pushed into more of, a, of the perimeter role as a shooter, and that's not the role that you draft Turner for. If he moves to Boston or Golden State, I think he's going to sit under the ring. That's where he plays his best basketball. You get the you you get Turner for blocks. In 2018-19, he had 2.7 blocks. Yes, he also had 13 points, seven boards, 48 and 74% shooting, 0.6 steals and 1.13 a game, but that's not the reason that you draft him. 2018-19 with the 2.7 blocks, he finished the season as the 30th ranked player. This year just gone, all of his stats pretty much stayed the same. His blocks dropped from 2.7 to 2.2, and that took his value to 53. So 23 spot difference in value with half a block. So if Turner leaves and he lands somewhere where his role is going to be guaranteed, stay at home center, where their power forward position is already cemented in a distributing role, a three role, then absolutely sign me up because you're going to get the 2018-19 version of Turner. But if there's conversation about what sort of role is he going to play, is he going to be a pick and pop, is he going to distribute, I don't want any of that. I'm going to run away as fast as I can because that's 
it is probably in his wheelhouse, but there's way too many variants there and there's way too many things that could go wrong that are going to detract away from the blocks, which we know has a lot of his value tied into. Alrighty, guys, that is all I have for you this week. Next week, I'm going to do a bit of a big call segment where I'm going to make some outlandish calls that may or may not come true about the upcoming season and what that looks like for your fantasy team. And as always, if you have any questions or comments, shoot them through to fantasylandbasketball at gmail.com or hit me up on Twitter at MarkFantasyland. Thanks again for listening. Don't forget to rate and subscribe.